Hello, all of you, and welcome to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. Before I turn it over to Pastor Kyle, Amen. All right, let's address it. So I've been wearing sunglasses all morning uh, because Thursday afternoon, we've had sickness running through our entire house this entire week. Uh, Hayes had something. We still don't really know what it was. Then Wyatt came down with the trip. He gave it to Sarah Beth. I've been without tonsils since 1998, so I might have made one too many jokes that my clean living kept me from getting sick. Well, Thursday afternoon, I laid my head down. We kind of had our Thanksgiving plans messed up, so I was feeling good, rested well, and I wake up and, hmm, my eye doesn't feel right. Uh, I didn't know that pink eye would be something I'd be dealing with at 35, yet here we are. So the sunglasses were helping me rest just a little bit. If I'm up here and I'm blinking a whole lot, I'm usually a crybaby anyways. This is a different kind of crying that I'm doing. I'm not winking at you, I promise. Uh, just, you know, take it for what it is. I thought the sunglasses might be a better alternative. I wasn't sure what a bigger distraction would be. But anyways, here we are. And first, before we even get started on the sermon, I want to celebrate something with you. I know most of you have heard, but I'm still super excited about it. We were down to 22 names this time last week for Hope for Christmas. And they are all gone. All 138 kids have been sponsored. They are sponsored because of your generosity. Because you took it upon yourself to make sure that people in our community, we could serve them to help them, assist them in having a Christmas. Great job. I'm thankful for you. We've received an overflow of cash donations as well, which is what we mentioned last week. We appreciate that so much. Those are going to go towards extra coats. Those are going to go towards our parent gifts that we'll be giving out as well. If you would still like to give or donate towards Hope for Christmas, yes, absolutely. We will receive your money quite graciously, and it will go towards one of those two things. Remember, that event is coming up on December the 10th. If you have not volunteered to be with a specific group please make sure that you reach out and ask around and we will plug you in somewhere all right now transitioning because i'm so excited we are going into our christmas series thanksgiving is officially passed we are now on to the christmas season some of you may remember from last year that often around my house i'm referred to as captain christmas because, yes, I go over the top Christmas, and also I have quite a strict legalistic view on how Thanksgiving tradition should go. Pray for me. Uh, because as you have children, and as the children grow, then the wife is able to take the children and twist them a little bit to where daddy is the bad guy, and daddy becomes the grinch because of his strict views. It gets more and more difficult. So again, pray for us. However, I'm pumped. But also, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but going through a... Christmas sermon series can be kind of difficult on a pastor at times, believe it or not. For some, it can be a redundant thing because you come to December, you're going to go through Luke chapter 2, you might run through some of Matthew you wanted to, and well, you just do the same thing every single year. Well, some have completely swung the pendulum so far as to say, well, I'm just not going to do a Christmas series. I can't do that. That's not me, so don't worry about it if that's not you either. I can't go that far. However, you know good and well that I love 
taking a different view of the scriptures, looking at it through a different lens. Yeah, lens pun intended when I can't probably see anything. But anyway, but sometimes it takes us reading the Bible differently to allow the Holy Spirit to inflict us a little bit differently than maybe we have before. Sometimes when we get into the redundancy of reading the same thing, over and over again, and we read it with the same thought process that we always, always have. It's not the Word of God that's wrong, but it's us that needs to change our hearts. It's us that needs to get a little smack upside the head to read it differently because we develop accounts. We want to make sure that we are open to what God is saying to us through His Word. So here's what we're going to do from today through Christmas Day. Yes, Christmas is going to be on a Sunday. I'm going to be here, and I hope to see you here as well, but we'll talk about that later on. Um, now, here's what we're discussing. Contrary to popular opinion, the Christmas story is not just relegated to the first couple of chapters of Matthew and Luke. Yes, those gospel accounts, they are a culmination of the scriptures uh, of the birth of Jesus and Jesus coming to earth. But really what those few chapters make up are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament leading up to that one point. To best understand, to best appreciate what's going on in Matthew and Luke, we've got to have a better understanding of Old Testament prophecy. Now, we can't go through all of the Old Testament prophecy that points us to Jesus because we'd be here just about until Jesus came back. But we do have to have an understanding of just how big the magnitude is of Jesus answering prophecy the way that he did. If you think about it, Jesus has to be born in a specific place. His parents, get this, his parents have to live in one place, travel to a place, then travel to another place before settling back somewhere else. Jesus has to follow another guy, and then he has to be put to death. Not only put to death, but put to death by crucifixion. And then he's got to be put to death between two other people. And then he has to be buried in someone else's tomb. Just like that, that's about ten different prophecies. Now, people have tried to quantify for years and years and years, mathematicians and scientists, scientists, gosh, mathematicians and scientists have tried to culminate, put a number together of just what the odds are of Jesus answering all these prophecies. They can't even come up with a number because of how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Some scholars believe it's up to 450 prophecies of the Old Testament. All they can quantify is up to 48 of them. Because out of 50, if you get to 50, people say, no, anything that's prophesied 50 times over, more than likely, it's completely impossible that it's going to happen. So for Jesus to fulfill just 48 prophecies, and we have in Scripture that He did more than that, you would have a number quantified as 10 to the 157th power, and I've written it out for you. That is 1 followed by 157 zeros. That's the odds of Jesus doing what He did. That's the odds of Jesus actually proclaiming that He is who He says He is. You take things in life that are not totally for sure. And maybe the biggest, most slam dunk in all of history is that Jesus is the Christ. You take one of those out and He can't be. But He answered all of them. 
Now, again, we can't look over all of these prophecies, but we're, over the next five Sundays, going to pick a different one specifically that helps point us to Jesus, that helps point us to the looking forward of Jesus' birth as we talk about Christmas. So for the next five Sundays, we'll be uncovering the gift of grace. To better understand, to better uncover the gift of grace, we've got to find the beginning of grace. And that's where we're going to be today. So if you would, turn with me, very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 8. Now, you say, wait a minute. I've covered a lot of Christmas stories in my time. And I don't know that any Christmas story or any Christmas sermon has ever taken me to Genesis chapter 3. Why? Well, I hope you say that because that's absolutely the point of it. So when you turn there to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, follow along with me. We'll be going down to verse 21. <clears throat> then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. Verse 20. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Verse 21. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we prepare, as we dive in to discuss, to uncover, to worship at the thought of the grace that you give. Oh God, make grace known to us. We love you, Lord. But you've already demonstrated your grace and your love towards us many, many times over. We love you, God. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Boy, heaven says Merry Christmas, like reading about Adam and Eve and the consequences of sin. Hallelujah, Merry Christmas, fa la 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 We're all destined for judgment. That doesn't sound like a very Merry Christmas. And you know, all that Clark W. Griswold wanted for his Christmas was a good old-fashioned family Christmas like he had while he was growing up. This type of Christmas includes going out into the woods and cutting down his very own family Christmas tree, having all the in-laws come and stay with him at their house, having a big giant family dinner on Christmas Eve, his father reading twas the night before Christmas with all the kids gathered around the fireplace, and then unveiling the perfect Christmas gift on Christmas morning. But there is nothing perfect about the Griswolds and their family. Clark, the husband, has a way of building things up with unrealistic expectations that no family can keep. He doesn't take into consideration the following things that will happen. Those families, that in-laws that come in, they will be constantly bickering. The 25,000 lights that he puts up on his house will not all work at once. He will not, has not thought that his cousin-in-law will invite himself over to his house in a nasty-looking RV, stay way longer than he needs to be, and then also clean out his <coughs> waste in a storm drain outside of their house. Clark doesn't consider that his company, the people that he works for, that they will cut his Christmas bonus, which he was going to use towards this perfect family gift. He doesn't know that his tree will, boom, go up in flames, and he's going to have to cut down the pine tree that's in his front yard and put it up instead. He has no clue that a SWAT team is going to raid his house and basically break every single window that's on it. But just like any true, great Christmas movie, when all of this is finished, you have that one sweet moment where the true meaning of Christmas comes out. And that's all that matters tonight. Not bonuses or gifts or turkeys or trees. You see, kids, it means something different to everybody. And now I know what it means to me. Oh, a sweet little moment with a poor definition of Christmas right before the next catastrophe hits. Believe it or not, that's a lot like our text today and what was supposed to be perfection became a total mess and amidst the utter debacle came the beginning of grace we didn't read Genesis 1 and 2 but we know that Adam and Eve had it made they had the perfect home the perfect place they had the perfect relationship with the perfect God who created them. And then sin entered into the world. Chaos followed. And chaos is what we've known ever since. And here, where we catch up in the story, God is laying down the lasting effects of sin that are still felt today. So let's talk about what happened. Let's summarize it real fast. Adam and Eve have sinned. They realize what they've done, and they immediately attempt to hide from God. Yeah, that's a real good idea. That worked out really well for them. But notice how God deals with them. Now, whether God is anthropomorphically speaking, we don't know, or whether this is a pre-incarnation of Christ, 
walking through the Garden of Eden. We don't know for sure, but we do know that God comes in and He asks the question, where are you? Now tell me, you know good and well that your dad asking that question, where are you, knows exactly where you are and what you weren't supposed to be doing, but you did anyways. So did God. God knew where they were. God knew what happened. It wasn't that God had drifted away from them. It was actually the other way around. Their reason for hiding was because of their shame, because of their guilt. And this was physically seen because of their nakedness. And really that was only part of the reason. God has two more questions. And then finally, Adam cracks under the pressure. He passes blame on Eve for the fruit, but in the same way passes blame on God because it was the woman that you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate from it. Woo. So then, God takes it better than we expected Him to and God turns His questioning over to Eve. Eve passes blame on the serpent. And she does at least admit that there was deception involved. From there, God turns to the serpent and gets down to brass tacks. He deals with all of them gently to a point while dishing out the consequences of sin. And God starts with the serpent. He tells the serpent he'll be cursed more than any other. He'll walk on his belly. He'll eat dust. And there will be hostility between the serpent and all of mankind from here on out. Working backwards a little bit, he then turns to Eve. God addresses Eve and congratulations, ladies. This is the reason that there is so much pain in childbirth. Can't say that I've experienced it myself, but I've just seen it happen secondhand twice. Now... Regardless also of how poorly interpreted the verses have been in the past, we also know that the proper relationship between husband and wife has also been completely messed with, completely shattered from how it's supposed to be. And an ongoing struggle between husband and wife will be the norm. Now to Adam. And not just to Adam, but to the rest of the world. The ground will be cursed. And that means two things for us and how it impacts us today. First of all, creation is imperfect just the same way that we are. Every hurricane, every flood, every natural disaster that we see come as a result of sin. When you start talking about the snow caps melting, when we talk about the earth's temperature rising, none of this is a surprise to God. It's not a made-up science. These are the groans of the earth for the earth longing to be made new again. How do we know this? It's laid out in Romans 8 for us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Now the second thing that we learned, it was established before sin that man would work. Man has been working since the creation of time. Working is in Genesis 1 and 2. It's only in Genesis 3 that labor and work, it's created to be painful. 
and it's going to be difficult. And work will never cease to be difficult. Well, now that I've gotten us all depressed, let's liven this party up. Where is Christmas in all of this? Here's what we understand. The world was perfect, and now it's been completely transformed because of something. But thankfully, God did not leave Adam and Eve alone in their sinful manner. So what three points of Scripture do we find here in this text that we read where we see the beginning of grace? We covered it only slightly, but to highlight these verses specifically, when the world was at its darkest, we get the best and the brightest glimmer of hope of what is to come. So here you go. Here's your Christmas for the day. Christmas, God with us. In this bleak moment, we get the beginning of grace, and it starts here. First point, God pursues man. After man had irreparably tore the relationship apart, after the closeness with God had been wedged between, the Lord comes. Man then did not attempt to do anything to mend it, to make it right. Instead, poor Adam and Eve Guilty, try to go and hide. And God finds them. There it is. Your first true sense of Christmas. In this Christmas season, in this Christmas message, while we try to decorate, while we try to buy, while we try to get into this Christmas season, remember what we're celebrating, that God came to us. When we could do nothing about it, God came to us. When Adam and Eve were lost, God came to them. While we were yet sinners, Christ came to earth and died for us. Now, there's your little bit of Christmas. So go back to verse 8, and that's where it begins. And that's where we continue to see the scope of it throughout all of Scripture. God's people sinned then God intervenes. Part of the reason that God intervenes is so that Adam can truthfully confront his sin. And that's why he asked that first question and the following questions that come after it. It wasn't meant in an angry fashion. It's not received as an angry question. The question was meant for Adam and Eve to come clean. To come clean. Now, hopefully at this point, we understand that God pursues us in the same way today. Gently, patiently, but with the same purpose. That as sin enters into our life, as God attempts to draw near to us, and as we draw near to Him, sin is going to come up. We must confront our sin. Through conviction, sin will be revealed to us and we are to surrender and turn away from the sin. Second part that we see in this, we actually see God's first gospel in this text. We need to make sure that we get this. The first mention of the gospel, no, again, it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, even though that collection of writings is known as the gospels because it contains the story of Jesus here on earth. But here what we see is the good news written down 
for the first time. Now, before we even discuss it, where did it come from? It didn't just come out of the heavens and the earth. No, this was part of God's plan when he created everything. This didn't catch God by surprise. While he's in the midst of creating everything, God knows enough ahead of time what his perfect creation is going to do, how it will become corrupt. And even knowing that the earth was going to be corrupt, God loved us and made us anyways. And made the plan for us to be reconciled back to Him. Now, I'm no chess player. I know enough to know what the names of the pieces are and how they work. I have no idea of strategy whatsoever. But I do understand that part of the strategy of chess is you're trying to outmaneuver. You're trying to think ahead several places of your opponent. And that's how you stay ahead. Well, naturally, God is the perfect chess player. Knowing that we were going to act in the way that we did... God developed a plan to fix it anyways. Checkmate is the gospel. So maybe you missed it. Genesis 3.15. Let's look back at it. It's off regard. One of my most favorite words to use. Genesis 3.15 is the proto-evangelium. Proto-evangelium. Literally the first good news. Did you catch it? Let's read through it again. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God tells the serpent with Adam and Eve present at the same time that there will be a day. It's already established. It's already confirmed that the offspring of Eve, one of these days, will go to battle with the devil and the devil won't be able to prosper. The Hebrew word, this is pretty neat, for strike, which is used in my translation. The Hebrew word has several interpretations. Your translation might even say bruised on it. But here's what we get from it. While we have different words for what it means to strike, to bruise, to stutter, to punch, to step on, what to crush, whatever it may be, this is one word in the Hebrew language. And the way that it uses different body parts and the way that it uses the same word twice, it's intended to have different definitions. So literally, what is God saying here? The point is for the devil to know that yes, the devil may bruise the heel of the coming one, of the offspring, and this is what bruising looks like, even though we know it to be the most excruciating form of torture that there was called crucifixion. It was merely a three-day trespass, a three-day setback for Jesus Christ. Whereas we wouldn't be able to overcome it, Jesus Christ was able to. And after Jesus Christ is resurrected, he defeats death, he assumes his role as a king, and he defeats the devil. If you want to skip ahead to Revelation and see what it looks like all the way at the end, you're going to have God's army against the devil and his minions, and they will be destroyed as God's kingdom reigns forever and ever. That is a promise that we get all the way back in Genesis 3. 15. Now that's Christmas. Amen. Do you believe that today? You may ask the question, man, that sounds really good, but how do we know that God will follow through and what He says? Maybe you're here and you're not convinced yet. Well, let's continue reading and see what God's initial response was in the text. Third part, God's initial action. 
Besides these first two points, this third verse that we're going to look at in just a moment, this is a point of the story where we tend to gloss over, we don't think about it, we don't imagine the theological ramifications that come with it. Verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. He clothed them. Adam and Eve didn't make it. As know that they tried and the best that they could come up with were fig leaves and it didn't cover up a whole lot. So God made the clothing. So God did so by sacrificing animals in the process. This is a precursor to the sacrificial system for sins and atonement that we see throughout the scope of the Old Testament. This animal sacrificial system that will be the norm until the perfect sacrifice comes along. And we know, after covering parts of Hebrews 11 like we've done in the past few weeks, we know that the perfect sacrifice is indeed Jesus Christ. This is what Hebrews 9 says. So also Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Even all the way back in the garden, God was making it known that he would take care of handling the ill effect of sin on mankind. Where else do we see this in Scripture? Galatians 4 says, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. The gift of grace started in the garden was accomplished at Calvary and continues in the lives of believers as we celebrate in this season that God came to us. The good old-fashioned Perfect family Christmas does not exist here on earth. That's for my Captain Christmas heart as much as, much as it was for anybody else. But as long as we're here, we'll be a whole lot closer to the Griswolds than we care to admit. But the true Christmas is the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us and longing for the day when we are made complete we dwell with Him eternally. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and as they do, where does that leave us? A couple of questions that I want to ask you. Are you here today and you have true relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Or is it mere mental acknowledgement that you say, yeah, I've read that He's done this, and so I know that He's done it. Has your life been transformed because of it? That's a question that we've got to ask. That's an eternal question that has eternity at stake. If you've got questions on that, come talk to us.
for the rest of us. What does it mean? Are we focused on the wrong things in this Christmas season? Are we too wrapped up in trying to have the perfect Christmas meal, the perfect Christmas decorations, presents, da 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 Or are we focused on what the meaning is that the beginning of grace started when God came to us? Just as He came to Adam and Eve in the garden, just as He promoted the first gospel, just as He provided for them the first sacrifice. Did you recognize that? Are you focused on that or are you focused on something else? You can adjust that focus by coming to an altar, by making the, an altar out of the chair where you sit. We are called to respond, and we ask that you do so. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll sing this last song. God in heaven, we love you. Thank you, God, that at its bleakest, at its darkest point, you intervened. You overcame, as we've already seen when we could make no way, you made a way for us. Lord, we pause and we worship you at this point. We thank you, God. And as we worship in this season, God came to us. Praise be your name. We love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with us as we sing this last song.
be seated just one moment. A few things that I want to go over with you. The first one, ladies, next Sunday is your ladies' luncheon. We've got to get all ready for that. I hope you're excited. And you know, I wasn't invited into it, but that's okay. It's, it's all good. It is what it is. But listen, if you have a table or you've registered for a table, there's some information that Michelle Daniel would like to give you. So make your way over this way when the service is over and she's got some information for you. Now, the next thing, as you leave today, I've got it in my hand to make sure that I don't forget, but our budget for the coming year, 2023, is made available to you. It's available today. It's gonna to be out in the lobby. Rachel and Miss Kelly are gonna be out in the lobby as well. As you look over, if you've got questions, we're gonna do the best that we can to answer these questions, okay? Here's why we make it available so early. It'll be not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, December the 11th, that we would like to vote on this in church conference. And we can save some conversation about by asking questions now so we can look over it, make changes where we need to, and go from there. So if you're interested, pick one up, take a look, ask your questions. We'll plan to vote on it as a church in a couple of weeks. Now, last thing that I want to share with you, and I'm going to ask Ms. Tina Cooper to come up if she will. She may not want to, and if she shakes her head, that's fine, but I'm going to at least make her if she will. Here she comes. Y'all give it up for Ms. Tina. So as you know, Ms. Tina works tirelessly with our kiddos in kids' ministry. You've done it for the last three years. Is that right-ish? Yeah, three years, but it feels like six or seven when you throw in a COVID year and all that on top of it, okay? Now, she came to me and we had a conversation. She said, Kyle, I think it's time for me to take a little bit of a break. Totally understand. Totally understand 100%. But she said, however, there is another way that I would like to assist the church. I said, talk to me. What you got? She is going to be taking over our custodial duties here at the church. So be kind to her. She's going to be taking out your trash and cleaning up after you. So I don't want to hear a bad thing about her. You'll have to answer to me. Y'all got it? Okay, good. So she's going to be taking that on. Parents, volunteers of the kids' ministry, here's what I'd like to do. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to get it scheduled, and we're trying to schedule it around Christmas season as well. She's going to help us transition uh, into some new things in kids' ministry, but we'll be holding an all-parent, an all-volunteer kids' ministry meeting in the near future, so be on the lookout for that. We need you to come and help us out as we develop a team and develop what kids' ministry is going to look, out, look like going forward here at Grace Baptist Church. I love you, Miss Tiffin. Thank you. Y'all give it up for me. wanted to share that with you because that is something that you may notice in the budget as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We talk about all the things we're thankful for. I'm thankful for you and Grace Baptist Church. Have a safe week. Uh, pray for my me, what I look like. I mean, I've looked this way for 35 years. The eye doesn't help matters. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, have a great week. I love you. Remember, we love God. We serve others and we show grace.